Northern Hills, it is such an honor to be with you guys today. I'm with family today, so this is real special for me. And here's the thing, it was last year with all the COVID insanity and all the transitions, everything going on, where Nicole and I felt ourselves in transition, even with church. And so we were like, let's find somewhere where we can really put some roots down. And Northern Hills was the first church we checked out and the last church we checked out. So we came in here and it honestly, it just felt like from home from day one. I mean, we just love the people, the environment, the spirit here. So I travel around a little bit and speak at churches, but to be home with family and share, I tell you what, this is special for me, okay? But here's the thing. Now that we got the whole church together, this is my first time sharing, I feel like this is a good opportunity for me to share a gripe I have with Pastor John. Is this a good opportunity to do that real quick? I feel like we should, uh... so here's the thing. When you start visiting churches, you start asking very deep theological, spiritual questions about the church. So you start asking questions like, how old do you think the pastor is? And uh, so Nicole and I would drive home from church and be like, how old do you think John is? And we would kind of have debates and go back and forth and make bets. And then one sermon, he was talking on Sunday about his adult aged children. Now here's the thing. The dude's got more hair than a Chia pet. None of it's gray. And he's talking about his adult kids. I, I mean, life just isn't fair sometimes. So I, I have that against him. It's something I'm struggling through in our friendship and relationship. Every time I see him, I just, it just bothers me, honestly. But I'm looking past it. It still kept us here, guys. It's just a privilege to be here. And so we're going to dig into this series road trip that Brandon kicked off last week. And today we're going to the lake. Anybody going to the lake this summer on a trip? You're going to get out on the boat, get some sun, right? I mean, that's something we love to do. If you have a lake house or a boat and are looking for a stranger to bring along, I'd be happy to oblige you on that if you want to talk after the service. But we're going out to the lake. But this isn't just any lake trip for Jesus. This is one of two times in the entire New Testament when a storm comes up. And here's the thing, guys. We're Coloradans, right? We know something about storms. <laughs> I mean, it snows in May here. It snows in September. We know a little bit about storms. We get softball-sized hail sometimes that completely destroys our cars and homes. We know about storms. Now, I grew up, though, in Illinois. And the thing about Illinois is we got these things called tornadoes. All right? Now, I know you say Colorado gets tornadoes. You don't get tornadoes here, okay? We don't get real tornadoes. In Illinois, the tornado signs would be going off multiple times a year. And when they would go off, you'd have to really take these things serious because you didn't know what was going to happen. And actually, when I was growing up, Little kid, one of the biggest tornadoes in the history of Illinois blew through our town of Plainfield, Illinois, and completely destroyed our town, just leveled the place. And hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars of damage, hundreds of people injured, a lot of people even lost their lives. I mean, this was a devastating storm. And I bet if we were to go around the room and even online, I bet some of you guys have your storm stories, right? You remember some of the worst storms you've ever experienced. We all remember them. But here's where I want to go with this. I really think that sometimes the worst storms we experience are not the natural forces of nature. I actually think some of the worst storms are those massive, uncontrollable events, circumstances, and situations that blow through our life and can completely level us. And so today, we're going to look at a storm that Jesus faces with some of his followers. But this isn't even so much about the wind and the rain as much as it is a glimpse into the character and nature of God and how he walks through storms with us. So if you want to follow along, we're going to be in Matthew 14. Let me give us some context here. Jesus has just finished one of his 
most famous miracles, feeding 5,000, right? He takes a little kid's lunch, feeds thousands of people. So there's a massive event. It's a huge party. There's noise. It's chaos. And Jesus is starting to shut the party down, all right? So he's sending people home. He's in transition. And we're going to pick the story up in Matthew 14, verse 22. It'll be on the screens. Do it on your phone, your Bible, however you want to do it. Here we go. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble, far away from land, for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. Now, let me give just a little bit of context for here. This is the Sea of Galilee. It was not uncommon for massive storms to blow through and create chaos on the water. And some of Jesus' followers, these guys were serious professional fishermen. So they would know something about storms. This would not be new. But they give us some context. This is a serious storm. I mean, they are in trouble. They are fighting for their lives here. And you may not have caught it. This was subtle. But right at the beginning of this verse, it said Jesus insisted that his disciples get in the boat. Actually, some translations say Jesus made them get in the boat. I got to ask you a question today. What if God knows a storm is in the forecast and he still sends you directly into it? What if your obedience doesn't prevent storms in your life, but actually brings you right into the middle of them? What if a storm in your life is not a sign of God's anger, wrath, or judgment on you, but actually a confirmation of his loving guidance for you? This is a hard thing to process. Because our culture, right, we love comfort. We want to mitigate as much pain and suffering as we possibly can. Why bring more pain than you need to in your life? But I think this seeps into our Christian worldview sometimes. Because we sometimes tacitly believe, you know, if I do my best to follow God, he's going to do me a solid. And I'm not going to have to go through quite as much. He's going to make my life a little bit easier. If I'm obedient and I do my very best, I mean, God's going to, he's going to bless me. I mean, I'm going to have a better life. Things are going to go well for me. And I'll be honest with you guys. When stuff starts to blow into my world and my life, my first response isn't, oh, thank you, God. This is clearly you and you are blessing me and giving me your favor. I'm like, God, what is going on? What did I do wrong? What did, what did I do? What are you punishing me for? This isn't fair. And actually, it was three years ago when Nicole and I, we genuinely felt like God was calling us to Colorado. We were living in the Midwest. And I know when you hear that, some of you guys are like, of course you felt called to Colorado, Brian. You came out here, you saw the mountains, you realized the weather's not nearly as bad as everybody says it is, and you felt called by God, like everybody else from California, right? No, but um, here's the thing. My first visit to Colorado, I wasn't that impressed. I'll just be honest. I was like, okay, the mountains are pretty, but it's like a billion dollars to go there and do something and come back, and you gotta fight the traffic. It's not even worth it sometimes. It's far away from family, and... I started jumping on Zillow and Redfin before we moved here, checking out the housing. This was three years ago. This was literally the best deal I could find on Zillow. And it's only gotten worse. So I wasn't that impressed with Colorado. But here's the thing, Nicole, we just felt like we were supposed to be in this state. 
And so we followed God on faith. And I will tell you, it was a crazy transition. I can't even possibly go into all the detail of how insane this transition was for us. But in the middle of all this, Nicole was pregnant with our second child. And we were so grateful. It was a smooth pregnancy. It was a super smooth delivery. I mean, everything just went the way you would want it to. And in February of 2019, we welcomed our second child and daughter into the world, Brinley. And that's the first picture I ever took with her. It was just this precious, precious moment and just this exciting day. And uh, we just, we were just relishing in it. Next day comes along. We're getting ready to check out of the hospital, go back to life. All excited about our family growing. And the doctor comes in. And he sits Nicole and I down. He says, I don't know how to tell you this, Brian and Nicole. But... Brinley has blood clots in her head. And uh, she may be severely mentally handicapped. She might go blind. She, she may end up being paralyzed. And you'll know this is happening when she starts having seizures. And this could happen any day. Say one moment, the waters are perfectly smooth, the skies are totally clear, and the next moment, the winds are blowing, the storms are raging, and you are literally drowning. And I bet if we were to go around this room and talk online, all of you guys there, you guys have some stories about your own storms too, where you really are trying to do your best to follow God. And yet these winds blow in and completely devastate your life. Now let's pick up the story, though, and see what happens here with their storm. Verse 25, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. We're going to get back to that, okay? When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. Now, again, these little details are so important to catch in this story. It says, shortly before dawn. Okay, if you didn't notice, Jesus sent his disciples on the boat before it was even nighttime. They have been in the water for seven to eight hours fighting this storm. I gotta ask you, you ever feel like God likes to take his time showing up in your life? I mean, if Jesus can really walk on water don't you think he could maybe show up a couple hours earlier too? And in my life, I will be honest with you guys, I have never, ever a single time had a moment in my life where I'm like, you know what? God's early. What's he doing here? He's 15 minutes early. God, you don't even need to be here yet. I don't even need you yet. He never does that. And what's so funny even about this situation is Mark is another writer in the New Testament. He gives a detail about this story where he mentions the fact that the entire time Jesus is on the mountain praying, he could see them in the water. He could see them from his vantage place. So he's just watching them flailing for their lives for seven to eight hours. I got to ask you today, how good are you at waiting on God? What grade would you give yourself on a scale of 1 to 10, what's your number for your ability to wait on God? And this is just something we have to accept about how God works. Time is one of God's primary tools for our transformation. Every second of a storm is custom designed for your development. 
And as much as we all hate to wait, God uses time as a scalpel in his hand to do surgery on your soul. So you can learn trust and patience and perseverance and all those other things that you hate to learn while God is waiting you out. And even in the middle of all of this, Jesus shows up and it says his disciples are terrified. They're freaked out. Now, what I find so funny about this is they are looking at the solution to their problem and they don't even recognize it. They're actually freaked out by it. They're scared of the solution. I'm just wondering how many times does God show up in our lives and we don't even recognize it? How many times does God show up in your life and you actually see it as a problem? And that's exactly what's going on with these guys because if I'm in this story and I get what I want, my preference is, hey God, how about you don't wait seven or eight hours to show up? Actually, how about you don't send us in a boat into a storm? That would be great too. That would be my preference for this entire situation. And yet God's preference is, you know, what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to be the one that sends you in the middle of it. I'm going to make you flail around for seven, eight hours just till you're thoroughly exhausted on no sleep. And then I'm just going to walk on the water and defy the laws of buoyancy. And you're going to think I'm a ghost and be freaked out. That's how we're going to do this. And I think so many times God shows up in ways we never would expect, ways we honestly wouldn't even prefer, but there is always a purpose behind it. And it picks up right here in verse 27. It says, but immediately Jesus said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. So Jesus shows up. What's interesting to me about this is there's two storms in the entire New Testament that are recorded. The other storm, Jesus shows up. He actually speaks to the storm and shuts the whole thing down. I mean, done. The story would be wrapped up right here. What's interesting here is Jesus doesn't stop this storm. It is still raging. And he's telling them not to be afraid. I really believe in this moment, Jesus is more interested in calming the storm going on inside of him than the storm going on around him. And you wouldn't notice it at face value when you first read this, but Jesus says, it is I. He said that in the verse. What he's literally saying there actually is, I am. Now, his disciples would have known this. This was a direct reference to deity. It was another name for God. So in this moment, Jesus is saying, I have the power of the universe at my fingertips. I am God right here in the moment, fully present. And because of that, you have literally no reason to fear. There is nothing to be afraid of. You can be perfectly calm in this moment, even with everything else raging around you. And I think what is so important to catch from this is who is with you in the storm sometimes makes all the difference. And Jesus is trying to help his disciples understand, I'm here. You literally have nothing to worry about. You know, when Nicole and I found out about Brinley's situation, I mean, you might imagine, we were completely knocked off our feet. It, it ruined the newborn experience. It was so overwhelming. We didn't even know where to start, but Nicole actually emailed Colorado Children's Hospital right when we got back. We're trying to start this process, figure out what we're going to do with this girl. And I still have the email thread, so I know this. It was 29 minutes later. We got an email back from a doctor. And he says, I would love to get you guys in. I've got an opening in my schedule next week. Let's get this process started. I would love to help. 
We're like, okay, random guy. I guess we're coming down to meet you. And so we go in. We start talking to this guy. We start this conversation. He leaves the room, and we're in there with his nurse. And she's like, you guys are so lucky. Do you know who this guy is? We're like, no. He seems like a nice guy, a doctor, a little dorky, to be honest. But um, she's like, this guy invented the treatments that your daughter needs. He's a Harvard guy. People fly in from the entire country and world to have him treat their kids for what your daughter has, and he's right here in Colorado. And here's the thing. God did not stop the storm for Nicole and I. Our storm is just starting. We were out in the middle of the water flailing around, but we started to see God show up. And his presence became known in ways we never would have expected or even thought of. And for anybody in a storm, maybe right now, or maybe a storm that's coming, you need to know God never promises to stop the storm. But he does promise his presence. And according to Jesus, that is more than enough to calm the storm going on inside of your heart so you can face whatever you are going up against. So the story is now about to get very interesting. <laughs> Let's jump in. Verse 28. This is Peter talking. If you don't know much about Peter, he's the guy who loves to shove his foot in his mouth, say all kinds of ridiculous stuff, and just the guy who is the butt of the joke all the time in the New Testament. Okay, this is Peter. So this is what you would expect. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Because that's exactly what I would say if I was Peter right in that moment. And Jesus responds. He says, come. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. <laughs> now, this is what is so funny about this moment about Peter. Jesus just said, hey, don't worry, I am, I'm God. But they're not even certain. As far as they know, this might still be a ghost and the figment of their imagination. They don't know. And Peter, he's not sure either. He says, if it's you. He's not even 100% sure that this is even God. He's like, hey, if it's you, tell me to come out there. Let's make this the test, whether I drown or not, basically. But if I'm Peter, I'm starting to ask some more questions. Like, hey, how are you doing that? What's going on? Are, what are you walking on top of? I got a lot more questions before, can I come out and do that with you? If it's you, let's run a test. I can't fully explain or understand what's going on here. But something, I think, inside of Peter just knew in the depths of his soul, he knew if this is really God, he's going to call me into something supernatural. He's going to call me out into something that I even can't fully understand. But for Peter, if was enough to move on. All he had was an if. He didn't have absolute certainty. He didn't have a guarantee. But he knew if this is God, it's going to be okay. He had an if. And Jesus responds with, come. Now, Jesus just told Peter to do something that is literally impossible. In case you're wondering, people don't typically walk on water. This is not something that happens in everyday occurrence. If I'm Jesus, I'm coming back to Peter saying, whoa, 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 no, hold, hold up, hold up. Stay in the boat. One person walks on water in this story. It's me because I'm God. You're not. By the way, you need to lose a couple LBs before you try and walk on the water. You got to stay on top of it, not go under it, Peter. I got a lot of things to say to Peter if I'm Jesus before he gets on the water. And yet Jesus has nothing else to say but come. 
He doesn't give any more instruction. He doesn't give any detail. He doesn't even hand out, like if I'm Jesus, I'm like, hey man, let's put one of these on before we give this thing a try, right? Let's just make sure this works out. He's got one word, come. And here's the way God works. God doesn't give details. He gives direction. God never tells you how it's all gonna work out. He never gives you every detail. He never gives you the end of the story when you're living in the middle of it. That is not how God works. He gives you enough to move on. I'm wondering, have you ever felt like God was asking you to do something impossible? Like he might as well have just asked you to walk on water. I've had this happen a few times in my life when I genuinely felt like God was asking me to do something that defied the laws of space, time, and nature itself. Whenever you have these moments, these are the thoughts that usually swirl through our head. Like, how is this going to work out? What if I fail? What if this kills me? What's this going to do to my kids? Is this going to ruin my life? Like, this could really, really cause problems for me. These are the thoughts that go through your mind. And yet, I think the question that Jesus wants us to ask, and this is what Peter asks, is, what if it's God? What if God's the one calling you out? What if he's calling you into the greatest opportunity of your entire life? What if he actually has a good plan for you and wants you to step into it? What if the best thing that ever happened to you is on the other side of the boat? Peter has no details, no instruction, no certainty. He just has direction. And if you, I think, really practice honing yourself into the voice of God, you have these moments in your life when God just speaks to you and he says things like, make the call. Forgive them. Don't leave yet. Don't give up. Take the step. And you have nothing else to go on. But you have to decide, am I going to take that step or not? And when you take that first step, Everything you was thinking, I'm either going to drown and go right to the bottom of the sea or my foot's going to land on something solid. And all I got is a word from God to go on. And you take that step and you are just freaking out about what's going to happen next. I'm telling you this right now. There is no way that Peter just walked across the water like this. Yeah, I got this. I got, there's no way that's what Peter looked like. I'm telling you, this is what Peter looked like. <laughs> That's what Peter looked like. Because the faith walk is a funny walk. Nobody's looking cool doing a faith walk. It is not a smooth stroll through the park. If you are walking in faith, you are looking like a fool because you don't know if you're about to drown or if you're about to defy the laws of possibility. And that is just what the faith walk looks like. Every single day after Brinley was born was one more step across the water for Nicole and I. I mean, we would have the day where we'd say, okay, today's the meeting with the neurologist. Is this the day we find out she's mentally handicapped? The meeting with the ophthalmologist, is this the day we find out she's going blind? Meet with the dermatologist, is this the day we found out the blood clots are doing much more harm than we thought? I've met more ologists than I know even exist. And every day, we didn't know if we were going to sink or if God was going to catch us. And the faith walk is a scary, scary walk.
you don't really know where the next step's going to lead. We pick up the story here in verse 30. This is Peter. When he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? Now, I read this, I struggle with this. I'm like, Jesus, doubt? You're about to get on Peter? You're about to get on Peter. The dude just walked on water and you are correcting him and criticizing him for his faith? Why don't you talk to all the other guys in the boat who didn't do anything? I mean, if anything, Peter needs a high five, a hug, a backslide. Give this guy some encouragement, right? I'm really struck with that because if Peter doesn't have enough faith and he takes a couple steps on the water, what does that mean about me? I've never walked on water. Anybody else here walk on water? I didn't think so. So Peter's doing pretty good. I had to really look into this because this is, I just didn't understand it because here's what we've got to understand. Jesus is not criticizing Peter for the amount of faith he was exercising. Track with me on this. It wasn't the amount. Because if you read through Jesus' teachings, he says stuff like, if you have faith the size of a seed, you're going to move mountains. It's not the amount. Jesus was talking to Peter about the fact that his faith was not sustained. He did not keep his faith focused on Jesus. It talks about how Peter faltered. He noticed what was going on around him, and his faith had a, a hiccup moment. I'll tell you, that is such an encouragement to me. Because that is my faith journey. I have fits and I have starts and I'm always looking at what's going on around me to figure out whether God's actually going to cover me or if I got to hedge my bets. That is my faith journey. I'm assuming it's yours on one level or not. And the problem with this though is these are the moments when we start to feel our faith faltering, when we start to ask ourselves, should I have even gotten out of the boat in the first place? I'm getting all wet. I'm starting to drown. This would have been better if I just stayed in the boat. Why am I even doing this? This was so stupid. And yet, you have to understand, it's safer on the water than in the boat. It's safer out in the middle of the water. Peter was closest to Jesus in his greatest moment of desperation. It says Jesus right there to grab his hand. And Jesus is closest to you when you are closest to sinking. You are way more safe walking out on the water towards Jesus than staying in that boat. And the only thing Peter can muster up in this moment of desperation is, Lord, save me. He's got three words, and I love that. There's no theological analysis or long essay that he writes to hand to Jesus. He's got three words, and I think these are sometimes the best prayers you can possibly pray to God. It comes from the depths of your soul. You have no other way to explain your emotions or your feelings. You're like, God, help me. That is all I got. And in that moment, Jesus reaches down and pulls Peter right out of the water. I love that. That is a snapshot of the Christian faith right there. All of us on some level are flailing around in the water. As good as you think you may be at life, we don't all have together. We get lost. We get freaked out. We start going under the water. And the only thing sometimes you can cry out is, God, help me. Save me. I need you. And you contribute nothing to it. There's nothing you bring to the table. It is sheer mercy and grace from God where he pulls you out and takes you right out of the water. It is grace 
It is what our faith is founded on. And what this means is Jesus may let you struggle, but he will not let you sink. You can call on him. You don't need anything fancy. You don't need to go to seminary. You just need to call on him, and that is more than enough for him to respond. You know what I honestly think about this story? As much as the faith component was Peter walking on water, I think there was just as much faith that Peter was exercising when he was calling on Jesus and trusting him to pull him out. I think it requires just as much faith to walk across the water as it is to trust that Jesus will catch you when you start sinking. The story wraps up. Verse 32. And when they climbed into the boat, the wind stopped. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Now, when they say Son of God, they're saying, You are God. That was just another name for God. They're saying, You truly are more than a man. You are God in the flesh in this moment. Their eyes were open. They saw Jesus in a whole new light. They just went through this traumatizing situation. It's been eight hours flailing around in the middle of the water, fighting for their lives, almost drowning. Peter almost going to his own water. I mean, this is a traumatic experience. And yet, when Jesus gets in the boat, they're not saying, where were you? What were you doing? I'm so mad. Oh my goodness, God, what was going on? Because here's the thing. This whole experience that they went through, it was never about the water or walking on it or anything like that. It was about worship. The storm created the necessary ingredients for Jesus' disciples to get a totally new encounter with God and to see him with new eyes and to experience him in new ways. The storm was necessary for them to come to a new level of trust in Jesus. It could not happen any other way. And it's been since 2019, Nicole and I have been in and out of doctor's offices, at the hospital, doing treatments, juggling medical bills, trying to figure out what was going on in this whole situation. And all these doctors just kept telling us, you know, your daughter's probably going to start having seizures. That'll be the first way you'll know that we're going down this path. And they also said, though, if you can get her to a year of life with no seizures, that actually will be a pretty good sign. They said we can get her to two years of life with no seizures, you might have a miracle on your hands. I'm here to tell you today that three months ago, Brinley turned two years old and she has not had a single seizure, symptom, or health problem all the way up to this point. She is currently terrorizing the Northern Hills Children's Ministry as we speak. And they're telling us she more than likely is looking at a happy, healthy life. It's a beautiful, young woman. Can I just say this though? This has been the most exhausting, intense, scary season of Nicole's and I's lives. And there are just days where we felt like we were walking on water and there were days when we were under the water, gasping for air. And yet, Somehow in the middle of all this, through all the intensity of it, God used this to truly help Nicole and I worship. 
And I would never want to go through something like this again. If I could have avoided it, I would have, trust me. I would never wish it on anybody else either. But what I will say is this experience really provided the necessary ingredients for Nicole and I to come to a whole new level of trust and faith and experiencing God. And in that sense, I wouldn't change it. But I'm sure that there's some of you guys listening to this right now, and you're like, well, Brian, I'm so glad it's working out for you. It sounds like things are going in the right direction. But uh, my situation isn't changing. I'm still in the middle of my storm. My metal report isn't improving. I still have the waves raging. I am sinking, Brian. I'll be the first one to tell you that I know there are storms where everybody doesn't get back in the boat and the winds die down. There are real tragedies that happen in life. Some of you guys have storms raging through that are going to do irreparable damage to your life. You will never be able to pick up all the pieces. And none of us are guaranteed a storm-free, safe life. But there's one thing I would like to say before we close, though. 2,000 years ago, Jesus faced the ultimate storm. Because all of us, it is part of our human nature, it's part of the human experience, we don't have the connection or relationship with God that we should have. It's broken, it's fractured, all of us are flailing out in the middle of the water, trying to do life on our own, find our own meaning and purpose, and find our own type of fulfillment and pleasure and whatever it is. The Bible calls this sin, that we are just fundamentally broken and don't have the connection with God we need to have. And yet God, out of his love, refused to leave us out in the middle of the water by ourselves. And he came to this earth in Jesus, lived a perfect, holy life. And yet his own creation nailed him to a cross, falsely accusing him. And he experienced a horrific, horrific death. But that wasn't even the worst aspect of it. In that moment, the wrath and judgment of God for all of the sins of humanity were placed on Jesus. And he took it all on himself so we don't have to. And that wasn't the end of the story, though. Three days later, Jesus came out of the depths of that wrath and judgment, and he defeated sin and death once and for all and opened the door for forgiveness, hope, and eternity for anybody who would call on him. He is holding his hand out to anybody who will just reach out. And you need to know, if he was willing to do that for you and do that for me, you can trust him. He will not let you sink. And actually, we are promised that as bad as the storms may get in this life, there will be a day when the clouds are going to part, the skies are going to clear, the waters are going to calm. God is going to take away all pain, all suffering, all storms. And there's going to be nothing but beautiful skies for all eternity. But until that day comes, God is calling all of us to walk on water. Will you guys pray with me? God, in this moment, 
I just want to thank you for how good you really are. You don't promise to stop storms, but you do promise your presence. And that is more than enough. You call us into the impossible. When we go through any storms, you're the one who empowers us to walk on water in our situations. But I want to pray specifically for anybody in a storm right now, Lord. Anybody who just really feels like they are drowning. Lord, I pray that they will see that your hand is right there and that you will respond to any call for help, God. And ultimately, Lord, we thank you for the true sacrifice you made where you calmed the ultimate storm of our sin so we can have the hope for eternity and the beauty of your presence all into eternity. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for checking out this week's message. If you'd like to get involved here at Northern Hills, check out our website at inhills.org or download the Northern Hills app. We hope to see you again soon.